Good morning, Veritas. How are we doing this morning? Doing all right? That wasn't very convinced. I'm not convinced by that at all, um, but that's all right. Uh, we're jumping into Revelation. Uh, we're continuing our study through Revelation. I'm curious, what would you guys say if uh, someone says, hey, what's the, what's the big thing you're getting out of Revelation? Like, what's one thing you remember? I mean, there's a lot of images and a lot of crazy stuff going on in this book, characters to keep track of apocalyptic literature, kind of hard to follow. Curious what it would be. Uh, as I reflect on it, it's like, it's like the kid who, um, you know, he was a new Christian and, and uh, you know, his disciple is like, well, just read the Bible. And, and the next week he came back, he's like, well, what book did you read? And he's like, I read Revelation. And the guy was like, oh, no, like the most confusing book in the Bible. And he's like, well, what did you get out of it? And the kid's like, Jesus wins. He's like, perfect, right? It's a great kind of summary of we see Jesus over all the chaos in the world, over the earthquakes, a land, you know, he's standing with a foot on the ocean, a foot on the land, like anything bad that can go wrong, Jesus is over it. He's opening this scroll. Well, this morning, it's going to get a little scary, but remember, Jesus is over it all and Jesus wins. And this is what we're talking about this morning. Remember in Ephesians 6, where Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against humans, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This morning, we're talking about the enemy. And I was, I was like, isn't there a famous quote about know your enemy? And actually, as it turns out, one of the most famous books on war, Sun Tzu, The Art of War, written uh, over 2,500 years ago. And this is what he says. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. I think the same is true in the spiritual battle that we fight. Do you know your enemy? Do you know your enemy? That's what we're talking about this morning. So if you have a Bible, Revelation 12, we're going to work our way through this. The scriptures are going to be up on the screen so you can follow along. Chapter 12, verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in, a, in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Let's stop here. First character, this woman who's suffering labor pains. Who is this woman about to give birth? Well, in the Old Testament, the people of God are often referred to as as a woman, or as a bride. Think about Hosea, or think about Revelation 19. It talks about the church is the bride of Christ. The people of God is often described as a woman. So this is uh, not Mary. This is the people of God. That's, that's who this woman is. Now, why is she in labor? I want you to think about the Old Testament and the Israelites, one description of what was life like before Jesus for the people of God, I would say a struggle, kind of like labor pains. I mean, 
it's these ups and downs. Have you ever read the book of Numbers? I mean, there's plagues, there's trials, there's wilderness, there's, but also mixed in there with God's provision and some cool things. So this is a picture of God's people. Verse 3, then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns. Woman in labor, now we've got a fiery red dragon. Red, he's murderous. Seven crowns. Rome was the, the city on seven hills. This is, and there's crowns on these seven heads. It's a picture of dominion, authority. Verse 4. The dragon's tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. Just destruction wherever this dragon goes could be a reference to the demons who followed Satan in rebellion against God and were cast out of heaven. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. The whole purpose of the dragon is he wants to destroy the Messiah. He knows the Messiah is coming and he wants to destroy him. Verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male who is going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Clearly this is Jesus Christ, the one who rules with an iron scepter. It doesn't spend much time on the life of Christ because immediately it's like he just ascends to heaven. He's born, he ascends to heaven, he escapes the dragon. Why? Why doesn't it spend more time talking about Jesus? I think the point of this passage is to talk more about the woman in labor that gives birth, the people of God. The point of Revelation 12 and 13 is to talk about what happens to the people of God after Jesus ascends to heaven. Verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. All right. Where does the woman go? To the wilderness. That doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But what would that have meant to the first century readers? What would wilderness have meant to them? Remember Numbers, Deuteronomy. Where are the people of God? They're wandering around in the wilderness. This was a a well-known thing for them. It would be like us, kind of the old Western movies. We talk about going out West. You know, we think Montana. We think open range. That, that's kind of symbolic for us. It means something. Or we say Mayflower. You know, you might think of, of um, the settlers coming over on a boat. And there's kind of a nostalgia to that. Thanksgiving, the whole thing, right? This wilderness, when you say that, that's kind of how it was for the Jewish people of the day. Like, oh, the wilderness, that place of trials and yet God's provision. And it's, again, three and a half years, the 1260 days. It's, it's, it's a long time, but it's not forever. It's kind of a, a short period of time of this struggle, but also God's provision. Verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. The one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth 
and his angels with him. That's his name. That's our enemy, Satan. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. Satan is kicked out of heaven, and now he's roaming around the earth, raging like a trapped animal that's just lashing out. Look at what he does. Verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time. Again, three and a half years there. Exodus 19 language here. The eagle's wings. Remember Exodus 19 in the wilderness. I will bear you up on eagle's wings, right? This this picture of God's provision, even in a time of suffering. Verse 15, from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away with a flood, but the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commands of God. And hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus. Here we have the answer to our question. Do you know who your enemy is? Who is the enemy? The enemy is Satan. Here's why that's important. If you don't know your enemy, you might be fighting the wrong battles. You might be fighting a battle with your neighbor or your coworker, your antagonistic coworker, and you might think they're the enemy, or you might think the enemy is that other political party on the other side of the aisle that you're on, whatever they are. You might think maybe that's the battle we need to fight. That's the enemy. It's all those people over there. Who is the enemy? The enemy is Satan, and that affects how we fight the battle. It's a spiritual battle. But the second question is, do you know the enemy's strategy? Do you know Satan's strategy? Let's talk about the strategy because I think that's the point of these two chapters. God wants us to know how our enemy fights so that we will know how to fight back. Look at chapter 12 verse 10. He calls the dragon the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. He has been thrown down. The first point here about Satan's strategy. You have to know Satan's voice. It's the power of accusation. Satan's voice. The power of accusation. Do you know what Satan's accusing voice sounds like? Would you recognize it if you heard it? 
Let me describe what it sounds like. Oh, look, doing communion today. You're going to take communion today? I mean, you kind of know what a fraud you are, what a hypocrite you are. So you're going to go through the motions again of coming to communion. You don't deserve that. You know, you will never be forgiven for that horrible thing you did when you were 17 years old. You'll never be forgiven of that. And if people find out about that, it's over for you. Or that thing you did when you were 37 or 67, you'll never be forgiven for that. You've already committed the unpardonable sin. And also, you're terrible at school, so your future is pretty much dark and bleak and hopeless. And to add to that, you're also boring to hang out with. And nobody likes you. You're never going to get married because you're pretty much unlovable. Or now you're in this marriage and you're a terrible spouse. It's hopeless. Like you should just end it now. Just get out of it because there's no, you're never going to change. Your spouse is never going to change. This is pretty much a hopeless situation. And also, look at the damage you did to your kids. I mean, they're not walking with God and it's hopeless for you. And it's all your fault. And also, it's your fault that your parents got divorced. Because you know what a pain you were? You know what you put them through? Yeah, you're pretty much the reason your kids are messed up and there's no hope for them. You know, you should probably just end your life now. Because what's the point? Have you guys heard that in your head or your heart? Like, I have. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and that's like, well, good morning, sunshine. <laughs> we have all these thoughts flooding my heart and my mind. And some of us live out of that. Like, that's how we live. It's like, it's true. We just assume it's true. And we forget. That's the voice of the enemy. I mean, there it is. 1210. The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. That's a Satan has a ministry to you. Accuse you. It's not a ministry of encouragement. It's a ministry of accusation. That's what Satan's voice sounds like. Accusations to destroy the people of God. Well, let's keep reading here. Last verse of chapter 12 into 13 here. The dragon stood on the sand of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. On its horns were ten crowns. And on its heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. 
and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. So now we have character number three. We've got the woman giving birth. We've got the red fiery dragon, Satan. And now we've got a beast coming up out of the sea. The, ski, the sea for the Israelites was a scary place. It represented chaos. This is a scary monster coming out of the ocean, out of the sea. Who is this beast? Daniel 7 describes four beasts that look like this. It talks about Daniel 7, a bear, a lion, a leopard, this type of thing. Well, John takes that imagery of Daniel 7 and puts it all into one creature, one monster. What's up with that? What is this meant to do? For Daniel, I think in his time, he was looking at this monster, these different monsters as like, that's the Babylonians, those are the Assyrians, those are the Persians. Those scary animals represented nations, empires. And John just takes them all and just kind of puts them into one person. And then look what he says, verse 3. One of its heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. So, that's a weird statement because if it was fatal, how could it be healed? Or if the person's dead, like they had a gash on their head and they died, but then they stitched it up. Like, what good is that? They're still dead, right? This is kind of a weird statement. What he's saying is, um, I think he's looking at the Roman Empire, and it's hard for us as Americans to understand this, but, but imagine this, this empire is like this evil totalitarian regime that just ruled the world. It was the city on seven hills of Rome, this place with these evil dictators that demanded allegiance. And one of the rulers, Nero, imprinted on the coins, Savior of the world. Domitian, an emperor that came around the time John's writing, and he came and said, you will address me as our Savior and our Lord. That's hard for us as Americans because it's kind of comical to think of us like having a president demand. Like we even call our president Mr. President because we want, they're just American citizens, right? It reinforces that. Uh, but we would laugh if one of the presidents uh, was like, no, you will address me as our Lord and our God, right? That's kind of funny when you start putting uh, presidents or past presidents in that picture. We, we don't get that, but under Christians under this dictator, under these dictators, they knew what John was talking about. Oh, yeah, the fatal wound was healed. Nero is out of the picture and uprises one Domitian who's even worse. That's what I think the picture is here. And it says, verse 3, the whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. Verse 4, they worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. 
all those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slaughtered. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. If anyone is to be taken captive, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. The power of this beast is derived from Satan. And this beast represents the power of these evil rulers and empires throughout history. All these beasts kind of meet here in the Roman Empire, uh, but I think it extends beyond to even today we see this and throughout history. So the second point here is Satan's hand, the power of persecution. Satan's second strategy against the church is his hand, the power of persecution. It's exerting the power of a government. Government has this thing that they can use called force, coercion, military, right? They exert their power over its people. So we see this, uh, some of you guys have read 1984, classic book, talking about the, the evil of uh, totalitarian regimes. Totalitarian just means they want total influence in your life. They want total control over your life. That's beast number two. Whether it was Rome under Nero or Germany under Hitler or Cambodia under Pol Pot, Satan uses governments and military power to, to, to try to destroy God's church. Does it work? Did it work under Mao in China? Very, very small number of Christians in the 1950s. Now, some guess 200 to 300 million Christians in China. Churches meeting all over. Think about Romania and the Soviet Union, these empires that come and go. Fatally wounded, but the wound is healed and uprises another evil empire. Satan uses that to destroy God's people. Verse 11, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. Now, like a lamb. Isn't this a cute creature? This little lamb, this little harmless, sweet little lamb with the two horns, like the two bumps. Like, isn't that so cute? This little lamb coming here. But it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. It also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. It deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it is permitted to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. 
It was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And it makes everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. The beast's name or the number of its name, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of a person. It is, its number is 666. Beast number two, the harmless little lamb, but it speaks like a dragon. It's actually more dangerous than the first one. In Revelation 19, verse 20, we see that this beast is the false prophet. This is the beast that uses deception and words and ideas. This is strategy number three of Satan. It's Satan's mind, the power of persuasion. What does the false prophet make them do? He makes them get this brand on their hand and forehead. It's, it's a mark. It's called a mark. It, it would be something like branding a cow as a sign of ownership. A lot of questions here, right? A few things. Let's see if we can unpack uh, what is meant here in chapter 13. Well, we always start at the same place. What do we do when we come across something we don't understand? Step number one. We try to let Scripture interpret scripture so where else have we seen this imagery of a mark on a hand and forehead where have we heard this before let's go back to the old testament what about one of the most famous passages the john three sixteen of the old testament does anyone know that deuteronomy chapter 6 the shema shema is hebrew it's a hebrew word for listen Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, listen up, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your modeka, your strength. And these words that I give you today, they're to be on your hearts. Teach them diligently to your children. Impress them. On them. Bind these words as a sign on your hand and tie them on as a symbol on your forehead. Some people ask me, do you take the revelation literally? Do you interpret this literally? Well, do you interpret the Shema literally? Are you literally supposed to like tape the Bible to your hand and forehead? Is that the point? Of course not. What does it symbolize? What does your hand symbolize? Your actions. What does your forehead symbolize? Your mind. Your thoughts. The mark of the beast is a life, hands, thoughts, it's a life conformed to the pattern of this world. 
It's worldly thinking. It's worldly living. That's the mark of the beast. And then there's the people of God. They don't have a mark on them. They have a seal. It's not the mark of the beast. It's the seal of the lamb. What is the seal of a lamb? Remember Revelation 7? Everyone, they got their forehead sealed. It's, it's a life transformed by Jesus. By God's word. Do you see what's going on here? We have the Shema and we have the anti-Shema. We have the, hey, listen, O Israel, love the Lord your God. And over here we have the anti-Shema. Question, O Israel, did God really say you shall not? Six, 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 what is that? A lot of theories on that. I'm sure you, many of you uh, know exactly what that is, and you can help me out after the service. I've read all kinds of interpretations of this. It kind of all ends up at the same idea. Maybe it's, you know, the number that falls short of perfection. Seven is the perfect number. 666 falls short of that. Uh, in the original language, Greek and Hebrew, the letters are signed a number. So like alpha, one. Beta, two, gamma, three. And so on it goes. And so someone's name would have a corresponding number. So some would say maybe that's Nero. I'm sure there's a lot of books written on whatever president you don't like or haven't liked. I'm sure that there's books on how that is definitely that person. Maybe, maybe. Is this a computer chip that gets put in on your wrist? On your forehead so that you have to like can't scan your groceries unless you have the computer chip. What do you think? I hope I don't get that. Right? Is that, is that what Revelation's warning us about? Like this really won't have application for anyone in history until like you don't understand technology yet. But yeah, computer chips are coming. Is that what this is? Maybe. But that would only be one application or manifestation of this. Do you see what's happening here? The question is not, will you get the mark of the beast in the end times? The question is, do you already have it? Are you somebody who just lives out the anti-Shema? You don't live under the authority of God's word. You live over God's word. You don't let God tell you who you are and what you should do. You modify it. And the false prophet does the same thing. The mark of the beast is an idea. It's a lie that demands conformity. Conform to this idea or be canceled. Conform or lose your job. Conform or lose your social status. Conform or lose all your social media followers. Conform to this idea. This worldly thinking. Jesus told us in Matthew 7, 15. False prophets come how? In sheep's clothing. Doesn't it sound like Revelation 13? The sheep, the harmless lamb. But it speaks like a dragon. Isn't that Jesus telling us what this means? It sounds so harmless. 
This is what the beast sounds like. Hey, love is love. What does that mean? And who, who wouldn't believe that, right? Love is love. Such a kind, caring thing to say to another person. That's what this beast sounds like. Do you recognize when you hear Satan's voice in an idea persuading you to turn away from these commands that are to be upon your hands and on your forehead? So let's end with the last question. So now that you know your enemy, do you know how to overcome him? 13.8. Three things I want us to see here. First, 13, verse 8. All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. My first question is this. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life this morning? Well, how could you know if it is? Do you have the mark of the beast or the seal of the lamb this morning? Well, how can you know? Look at chapter 12, verse 11. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. How did these people conquer the fiery red dragon and the beasts? How did they do it? How did the church overcome Satan? They didn't. Jesus did. By the blood of the lamb. That's how they conquered it. They put their trust in Jesus, in the finished work of Jesus. Here we have the communion tables this morning. We're going to take communion to declare again that our victory is through the sacrifice of the Lamb by the word of, that's the word of our testimony. It's that confession that I am saved by grace through faith alone. So this first point, how do you overcome Satan? You fight accusation with confession. This is a good thing to confess. I'm a sinner, but Jesus died for me. Those condemning accusations. How do you fight an accusation from a red, fiery red dragon? You just confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord. And it's by his blood that you conquer. Look at chapter 13, verse 9 for a second. Way we overcome Satan. If anyone here has ears to hear, let him listen. If anyone is to be taken captive into captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. Endurance and faithfulness. 
will you endure in the midst of this opposition? Will you die for Christ if it comes down to it? How would you know the answer to that question? I think the best indication of the future is the present. The question is not, will you endure, but are you enduring now? The second point is this, fight persecution with faithfulness. You won't die for anything you're not living for. I think that's true. The question is not, will I die for Jesus, but am I dying daily for Jesus? Is it true for you to live as Christ to die as gain? Is Jesus your treasure? Are you enduring in faithfulness in your life, following him, a life transformed by him? Finally, chapter 12, verse 9, Satan, it describes him as the one who deceives the whole world. This false prophet, so deceptive. How does Jesus fight the devil when he was on earth? How did he fight the devil? Matthew 5, sorry, Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, Jesus encounters Satan in the wilderness. What does he do? Three times, it is written, it is written, it is written. The last point here, how we fight, is fight persuasion. Fight Satan's persuasion with scripture. And then here's a thought. If you believe what Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you have to believe what Jesus believed. The reason I say that, and I think it sounds obvious, but our call is to, if we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, do we know what Jesus said about money? Do we know what Jesus said about marriage and sex? Do we know what Jesus said about heaven and hell? Do we know what Jesus believed? Let's be a people who live under his authority, protected by him. And I just want to say, Revelation 12 and 13 is not scary if you know Jesus. Because you have nothing to fear. No matter how bad it gets, your life is hid with Christ in God. And you will be raised with him for eternity. You have nothing to be afraid of. Let's pray together. Jesus, this morning my prayer is that we will be more in awe of Jesus than fearful of Satan. But if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you, Jesus, that has never transferred their trust to you, if there's anyone here that has never surrendered their life to you, give them the faith this morning. Mustard seed faith to say yes to you, Jesus. We're going to close with communion, and we invite you to come to the tables. They're spread all over the room. 
the bread representing the body of Christ broken for us. The cup represents the blood of Christ shed for us. This is how you overcome the dragon, is you just hide yourself in the wounds of Christ and let him forgive your sin. When you're ready, we invite you to come. Let's do this in remembrance of Jesus.